time in the book of Romans. We're going to try to walk right through this book, line upon line, precept upon precept. It's, church, it's one of the most theologically accurate, I shouldn't say accurate, one of the most theologically complete books in the entire Sola Scriptura. Uh, it's a book that I encourage everybody to spend a lot of time in. If you want to really learn some serious doctrine about how to govern your life, we're going to continue to do that. So I'm going to ask you to follow along in your Bibles. And on the overhead, you're listening around the world right now. We're going to be Romans 5. We're going to look at verses 13, 20 through 21. And I'm going to f- basically finish teaching 16 through 21. So if you want to follow along, I'd encourage you to do that. Romans 5. 13 through 21. Let's see what the Word of God has to say to all of us. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam and Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one many died, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many? And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. That's Adam. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the transgression, resulting in condemnation. But, on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through the one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, that's Christ, the many will be made righteous. And the law, the namas, the law, came in that the transgression might increase. But where sin increased, look at the last part, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's tease this apart. I know there's a lot to unpack there. I know you're all theologians, you already got it locked down, but we're going to try to do this right. So, let's look at slide 4 and 5. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14. Let me repeat it. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, 
who is a type of him who was to come. Let me read it in the New Living Translation for some of you. <clears throat> yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. So, let's unpack this. What can we understand from these verses? Well, if you've read your Bible at all, and you've ever been in the book of Exodus, we know that God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. In fact, the Ten Commandments were in Exodus 20, and where else do we find them? You're right, Deuteronomy 5. Very good. But sin was already in the world long before the law was given. So how do we understand this? So Paul says, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there's no law. So we've got to look at this word imputed. We have to ask ourselves, okay, Paul, Paul, help us out. What did you mean when you use this word imputed? Because we don't kind of use that word today in our 21st century vernacular. Well, the word imputed, the way Paul used it, has the idea of to put down in a ledger to one's account. You see, church, it's one of those accounting terms that has the idea in the world of com commerce as this careful and specific rendering of an account that is necessary in bookkeeping. So think about imputed, think about something being marked down in bookkeeping in a ledger and of account. So how do we understand it? Well, Paul was trying to get across to us that even though there was clearly sin in the world long before Moses obviously came in through Adam and Eve, God chose not to keep an accounting of it before the giving of the law. But clearly, Paul states that as a result of sin in verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam till Moses. Remember what he said in Genesis 2, 17? If you eat the fruit, you're going to die. And that sin was passed down to all of us, right? Even though those who had not sinned in the likeness or the offense of Adam. So we've learned from the Bible that there is a payment for sin. And that payment is death. Make no mistake about it. Adam was warned, as I just said, Genesis 2.17. Before, Adam deliberately chose to sin. And the result is that it spread to his offspring, which is all of mankind. It is very clear that Adam and Eve's sin brought all of mankind under the grip of sin and the guilt and made all humanity ashamed and fearful before the living God. But look at the last sentence in verse 14. Who is a type of him who was to come? Church, it's hard for me to understand how people can't see Christ in the Old Testament. It's right here. God he doesn't leave his bride hanging, church. So what, do we, what did Paul mean, this type of him who's come, this word type? The Greek word is the word tupas. So this word type has the idea of a figure or a representative. So how do we make sense of what Paul's saying? Adam is a type of Christ in that he universally prefigures the universal impact of Christ on the world. Just like Adam had a universal impact on the world, Christ also has this universal impact on the world. What do I mean? 
Well, verse 15 kind of spells it out for us. Slide 8 and 9. But the free gift, very important you look at those words. It doesn't say something you earned. The free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by his grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And here is the new living, how it puts it. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of the one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So as we look at this verse, we need to understand what is we call the doctrine of original sin. And that's why I encouraged you, beg you, read through the book of Romans consistently. I want to kind of unpack a little bit about the doctrine of sin so we understand. So I want you to see that word transgression that is there in verse 15. For the free gift is not like the transgression. Okay, Paul, what did you mean when you used that word transgression? The Greek word is paraptoma. So the idea of transgression is deviating from the path, overstepping the boundary line. It carries with the church this idea of going where you're not supposed to go. Any of us ever been where we're not supposed to go? Any of us transgress every time you run a lead light? You transgress. You deviate from the path. Doing what we're not supposed to do. Paraptoma. So this is where we get that word trespass. Like you see a sign, no trespassing. Don't cross this line because now you are breaking the law. Well, Adam was given the instruction. Where? Oh, Genesis 2.17, slide 11. Adam, listen, Adam. You see that tree there? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam, listen. Don't eat it. Because if you do, Adam, and that day you eat from it, you're going to die. So he was given that one command. But what do we see happening a little bit later on? Slide 12, Genesis 3, 6. Look at this. This is Eve. When the woman, the Ishna, saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes. It's like that shiny new car. Delight to the eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. So see the three things going on there? The tree was good for food. The tree was a delight to the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and she broke Genesis 2.17. She ate it. And then she gave it to her husband, who knew better. He knew better. What did he do? He ate it too. <clears throat> so the transgression, the deviating from the path, breaking the law, stepping over the line took place when they ate of the tree. Adam and Eve deviated from the path of obedience to God's command. What was the result of breaking God's law? For if by the transgression of the one, many died. Church, here we are. The sin of Adam brought death. 
It is appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. So by eating of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam departed. He and Eve deviated from God's standards and command, and they entered into a forbidden standard. Instead of becoming more like God, as Satan told them that would happen, <clears throat> consider what Satan says. Satan says this. Listen, Adam, Eve, listen. God knows that in the day that if you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But what was the result? They became more unlike God and then separated from him, hiding behind the fig leaves. Adam's sin, his transgression, his deviating from God's commands, delivered him and all of his posterity, that's all of us, over to the province of Satan. Remember back in verse 12 of chapter 5, slide 14? Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, death through sin, death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Now, I don't want us to miss the statements here from Paul. I'm really trying to break this down because I want you to really sink your teeth into this to understand it. See, that word entered... You know, enter here, enter there. This word entered is a little bit stronger in the Greek, in the Koine. You see, it's the verb form that's used here of entered. So it has the idea of more of invading, like an invasion. Therefore, through one man's sin, sin invaded into the world. It's a strong world. It's, it's a very strong word. It's a, this invasion. Sin, sin church broke in. And it intruded on man's life. You see, in the beginning, man was upright. And he lived a life of obedience to God. He communed with God. He walked with God. But Adam disobeyed God's command. Sin enters in the world, which led to the act of rebellion and disobedience, which produced the corrupt course of life, as we all know too well. So then what do we glean from the text? Adam and Jesus had a determinate impact on those who, who belong to them. Look at slide 15. Dr. Martin Lord Jones says what? The relationship of mankind to Adam is a picture relationship of the redeemed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, slide 16, gives us some clarification. For since by a man came death, by a man came also resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Try and understand this. The last time you draw your breath on earth and die, that's not the end. Please don't believe that you end up, that's the end. There's two destinations. You're in Adam or you're in Christ. There's no, what's behind door number three? There's no such thing as purgatory. It's appointed one for a man to die. And then the judgment. That's what the Bible teaches. Slide 17. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. Remember what it says back in Genesis? And God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and Adam became a living soul and a fesh. But the last Adam, that's Christ, he became a life-giving soul spirit. So then church, Adam was the first Adam and Christ is 
also, or Christ is called the second or last Adam. Humanity is in one of those camps. You're dead in your sins and trespasses and you're in Adam. Or you're born again and you're in Christ. Christ is the head of the new humanity. Hear me. We were in the life of Adam. We were dead in our sins. Dead in our trespasses. Deviated from the course. But for those who have come to a saving faith in Christ, you are now in Christ. The moment you shut your eyes here, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Where does it say that? I'm so glad you asked. That was slide 18. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So what do we learn? The gift surpasses the sin. The gift by the grace of Christ not only provided the way for you and I, fallen man, to be restored. It doesn't stop there. Jesus Christ reversed the curse of death by forgiving us and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. You are washed in the blood of the Lamb if you've surrendered your life to Christ. Hear me this morning. God's grace will always be greater than man's sin. You can't outdo God. It's not only greater than Adam's original sin, which brought death to all men. God's grace is greater than all of the accumulated sin that you and I will ever commit. Listen, when you're born again, when you've come to faith in Christ, you are saved past, present, and future. That blood continually washes away your sin. And you will learn as we go into Romans 6 next week, it's not a license to sin. What did Paul tell Timothy, slide 19 and 20? Paul speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.10. Paul says, Timothy, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who did what? What does it say? He what? Abolished death. Brought life. What else did he bring? Immortality to light. How? Through the EU Galeon, through the gospel. <clears throat> the New Living puts it this way. And now, he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news or the gospel. That's why there's such a difference when I do a funeral for somebody that's in Christ that passes away. Their body may be there, but they're in glory with the king. Amen. That's where they're at. Make no mistake about it. Christ broke the power of sin and death. Let's look further at some additional contrast that Paul makes between Adam and Christ. Because this doctrine of sin, I want us to understand it. Slide 21 and 22. The gift, the door on. Not what you earned, the gift. Something freely given. That's not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the transgression, resulting in being condemned. You break the law, you're condemned. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from the many transgressions resulting in justification or being declared right. And the New Living puts it this way. 
And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to being condemned or condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. Doesn't that blow your mind? We're guilty of many sins, and yet through Christ we're still made right. Let's break it down. So he says the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Notice Paul says, came through the one who sinned there. Slide 21 still. So we see, as we've been learning, the sin of Adam brought death to all men. It brought being condemned. Okay, so Paul, Paul, help us out, Paul. What did you mean when you said the word condemnation? Katerima. What does that word condemnation mean? The punishment following a judicial sentence. Think with me on that. Being condemned. Think of a court of law. You broke the law. You did this, that, or the other. The judge pronounces a judicial sentence on you. And that sentence comes with a punishment for breaking the law. That's condemnation. The judicial verdict resulted on all of us because sin of Adam came through the one who sinned, spread to all of us. Judgment arose from that sin, resulting in condemnation or a judicial verdict. So the doctrine of original sin is clearly spelled out here in the scriptures. The one sin of Adam brought death upon us all. The one sinful act of sin of disobedience really does matter, doesn't it? Because there's so much suffering in the world, and we're all part of it. Think through your life. How many people have you and I caused to suffer because of our sin? And it's very easy to point the finger at Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But think about it. How many people have been hurt because of our sin? Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O Lord. Try me. See if there's any evil way in me. But he, Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave us hanging. But on the other hand, slide 24, the free gift arose from the many transgressions resulting in justification. God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we're guilty of many sins. Listen, I don't want to miss this point here that Paul's teaching. Paul is contrasting the many offenses with the one offense of Adam. He says many transgressions, many deviating from the path, many crossing the line, breaking the law. Church, Adam's sin as well as all of the sins that men and women have ever committed and will commit were dealt with, listen, by the action of one man, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. What's the result of that action? The text is clear. Justification. All right, so we need to unpack that term again. Slide 25. Theologian Douglas Moo puts it this way in his commentary. <clears throat> he says... Not only are the results of the actions of Adam and Christ diametrically opposed to each other, but the graciousness of God's work in Christ becomes all the more evident when one considers the number of sins taken into consideration in each respective action. That one single misdeed should be answered by judgment, this is perfectly understandable. That the accumulated sins and guilt of all of the ages 
should be answered by God's free gift. This is the miracle of miracles beyond human comprehension. Ain't that powerful? Here's another contrast Paul makes. Look at verse 17. Slide 26 and 27. For if the transgression, the deviating from the law, the breaking of the law of the one, that's Adam, death reigned through the one, that's Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And the NLT puts it this way. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin. Let, let, let me slow down there. I want to make sure you see what we're reading in the text here. I don't want you to gloss over it. Let me read it slow and look at it again. For the sin of this one man, that's Adam, caused death to rule over the many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in what? What's that word? Triumph. Triumph over what? Oh, over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. There's your Eugaleon. There's your gospel, church. Think about it. Neither Adam nor Eve sinned because they wanted to die. You and I don't sin because we want to die. When we sin, it's a deliberate choice we make. Because we want what we want. And we want to kick God out of the way for a moment because we want our pleasure. Let's be honest. Remember what Satan said to Eve back in Genesis 3, 4, and 5, slide 28? Satan says to the woman, Eve, listen to me. You're not going to die, Eve. Lying through his little, you know. You're not going to lie. You're not going to die. Eve, listen. God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like him. Knowing good and evil. You're going to have the same power God had. Adam and Eve did what? As we learned, they ate the forbidden fruit because they thought they could become just like God. But when they committed that sin, it clearly produced the very opposite result. Instead of becoming just like God, they ended up becoming the very opposite. But the story doesn't end there, does it? Slide 29. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it. What do we see? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit's appointed time Jesus steps into the scene, born of a virgin, sacrificing his life on that cross, bleeding and dying, punched in the face, spit on, flesh ripped apart off of his body, bleeding and dying, spilling the blood. He steps into the scene, sacrifices his life on that cross, so that people like you and I, sinful people, could live in triumph over sin and death through him. What do you do with that, church? You living around, listening around the world, what do you do with that? Does that impact your heart? Does that cut straight in there? Does that make you think about the way you live? 
but slide 30. He kind of like brings it around. So then, as through the one transgression, the resulted condemnation, even so the one act of righteousness results justification of life to all men. For as though, as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, that's Christ, many were made righteous. Church, here in these verses here, Paul now summarizes what he's been teaching throughout most of this paragraph going all the way back to verse 12. Condemnation, deviating from the path, being sentenced because of that, came to all people through the trespass of Adam, but also did the righteousness that leads to life come to those who belong to Christ because of the righteous act of Christ. Adam's one transgression was disobedience, whereas Christ's one act of righteousness was obedience. When the Father sent his only unique, one of a kind, no one else like him, son into the world to suffer and die, the Son, Jesus Christ, obeyed the Father and brought life. I want you to notice that word made in the text because God doesn't put words in the Bible by accident. The one of the many will be made, made righteous. What does that mean, made? It's used twice in the verse here. Kathistastai me. It means causing or establishing something. Because of Adam's disobedience, all people were made to be sinners. That was the cause and the established. When Adam's sin, mankind, who's mankind's representative, all sin. God regarded the entire human race as guilty, imputing or crediting Adam's guilt to all of us. That's why we were all born in sin. Well, where does it say that, Pastor Jack? Well, I'm glad you asked again. How about slide 32? Psalm 51, verse 5 and 58, verse 3. What did David say? Behold, I was brought forth in what? Iniquity. And in what? Sin my mom conceived me. The wicked are what? Estranged from the womb. These who speak lies go astray from birth. Now, in the same way, but with the complete opposite effect, Christ's perfect obedience causes all those who believe in him, all those who come to a saving faith in him, to be made righteous in the Father's sight. The consequences of this obedience is the righteousness of Christ being credited to the believer's account. Remember what I said before. All the bad and worst about you and I, every sinful, rotten, filthy thing that you and I ever did, all the bad, the worst about us, was now taken and it was placed on Jesus Christ. Right? Every sinful, rotten thing we did was now imputed or credited it was now placed on Christ. And the very best about Christ was now credited and imputed or placed upon you. So when you drop dead, you can stand before the Father solely because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Not because you deserve it, but because of what He did. That's what it's teaching us here. That's the gospel. Don't let any false prophet tell you that you have to earn your way into heaven or do something else. The law 
came in so that the transgression would increase. Came in. What does that mean? To come alongside or by the side of. So, what then did the law come alongside of? It came alongside of the transgressions, as the text says. Paul says that it came alongside. Why? So that the transgression would increase. So what does he mean here? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, Paul simply wants us to understand that one of God's purposes of the law was to intensify just how serious sin is. See, here's the thing. Do we take sin seriously? Now, I want you to think about it. Do we take sin seriously? That's a hard question because if we took sin seriously and we are born again, are we repenting? Are we turning away from those behaviors that we shouldn't be practicing as a way of life? And are we walking in obedience with the Lord? Now, I know this is hard to fit in the ears, my father also eloquently says, but it's the truth. The, the, the Paul wants us to understand that the God's purpose of the law, aside from being our tutor or schoolmaster, as the King James says, was to intensify or bring to our understanding <coughs> just how serious sin is. We've already looked at that word transgression, right, to deviate from the path, right? Let me share one more from Douglas Moo. What does he say? Slide 35. The fact and power of sin introduced into the world by Adam has not been decreased by the law, but given a new dimension as rebellion against the revealed detailed will of God. Boy, that hits you right in the eyes. He goes on to say that the law has a function of turning those it addresses into their own Adam as a sinner who transgresses transgresses the known law. Think about it. When we sin, it's a deliberate choice. Think about it. The law reveals to you and I the desperate situation of people apart from the grace of God. The law increases our knowledge of sin. It defines sin for us. The law reveals the terrible grip that sin has on the human heart. Most Christians today, if they were out and one of their friends says, where are the Ten Commandments found? Not only could they not even name them, they couldn't even tell them where to find it in their Bibles. How shameful is that? We call ourselves a Christian and we can't even do that? The law teaches us about sin. It teaches you and I about the foulness of sin. It teaches about the real nature and the exceeding sinfulness of sin. The law shows each of us that we are fallen creatures because of Adam, and we are all morally diseased. You don't hear that preached in a lot of churches today. They don't want the kumbaya moments, but we preach the whole counsel of God here. But we also realize that Paul does not leave us hanging in despair. He says we're sin increased, grace about it all more. What does that mean? God's grace is more than sufficient to overcome the increase in the power and series of sin brought on by the law. Church, listen. We must never forget that the law was never designed to be a way of salvation. Paul, way back in chapter, I think, 4 and early part of 5, tried to explain that to the Jews. Paul had to make it clear to the Jews of that day. He taught us way back, I think, in chapter 3, 
about embounded, overflowing like a mighty flood that's let loose, and it drowns everything. Listen, grace not only counteracted what sin does, grace gives us life. Sin can never exceed the grace that God provides. Listen, are we rejoicing in the victory of grace over sin? As we've looked at these contrasts, do we understand that the only way we are made right is by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? If you're putting your faith in the federal government, you're in trouble. Oh, boy. The free check, free check ain't going to get you out of problems there, believe me. Let me close with this. This word righteousness, I don't, I don't want you to miss this. What is slide 36? Righteousness is what? Here you can mark this down in your Bibles if you want. Because I know you all do that. Righteousness is the act by which God brings people into a right relationship with himself. Let me repeat that. God's righteousness is the act or decision by which he, the judge, declares a person to be innocent. That's justification. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and no other way. There is no other way. You are declared right the moment you come to a saving faith in what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. Everything that God does, church, hear me, is righteous. One of the attributes of God's character is His everlasting and eternal righteousness. Think about this this morning. How can a man be made right with God. Well, he must have kept the whole law, not breaking it at any time. He must be free and delivered from the condemnation of the law as well as the punishment the law threatens. How does that get done for us? That's where the Eugalian, the gospel, comes in. Church, the gospel is God's way of solving this problem for us. God himself has provided you and I with the very righteousness that he demands from you and I through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. It was Christ, not you and I, who satisfied the law of God the Father on our behalf. So when we speak of righteousness, we need to think about justification. Slide 37. Justification is an act of God's free grace upon the sinner in which he pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Think about the day when you stand before him. Try to imagine what that's going to be like when you shut your eyes here and you stand before him. Think about what you're learning this morning. Only through what Christ did, he pardons our sin and accepts us as right. There's no act by what you and I could ever do on our own to make us right with God. It was all Christ's work. It was all God's plan. Oh, where does it say that? Well, let me close with this. Slide 38 and 39. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Dr. Carr and I have said this many times. The Father made him Jesus Christ who knew no sin. By the way, God was never angry at his son, just so you know. Look what it says. He was angry at our sin, but never angry at his son. The Father made Christ, who knew no sin, 
to be sin on our behalf so that you and I may become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see that, church? Christ, by his obedience and his death on that cross, made a proper and full satisfaction to the Father's justice on our behalf. So then, Christ satisfied the law on our behalf. He was perfectly obedient to the law. He never failed the law in any way. He took the penalty that John Applebach and you deserved in his own body on that cross. He took your guilt, your shame, my guilt, my shame upon himself, bore our punishment, satisfied it all. So the gospel announces the good news that God sent his only son to do that. God canceled out our sin debt. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Think about it. He doesn't stop there. The Father puts all the perfection and righteousness of Christ. He takes it all from the Son and he puts it into our account. I don't deserve that to you. I don't deserve that. Then he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ so we can stand in his presence. You are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. Listen, you praise God in the storms of your life. You praise Him in the tears of your life. The troubles of your life. And when you're weak, that's when you're strong. Amen? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace. Shake hands.